0: That's the truth, isn't it? There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. Um, He put on display the truest, most consistent qualities of friendship of any man that's ever walked this planet. And we have reaped so much from that. And the invitation for us is... as. God extends a hand of friendship to us made possible through what Jesus has done. We say yes to that. We say yes. And when we say yes to that and put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have real forgiveness. And we begin to experience real life in the way that God had designed it. We begin to experience victory over sin and suffering and um, through Christ who pulls us through as a friend pulls us through. Life. And so this morning we're going to talk about friendship. If you've been in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and even before that, we've already encountered this extraordinary person named Jonathan, Saul's son. So go ahead and open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um. This morning's sermon is titled, Brothers in Arms, Friendship in a Time of War. And so I'm going to give a disclaimer that this morning I am speaking to men. And so ladies, you can just relax. I'm not going to step on your toes this morning. You're going to act as overhearers today as I encourage the men in the room. And you might be surprised to discover maybe a few of these things have to do with me too. We can really tend to romanticize these stories of David, David and Goliath. Many of us have heard them since we were little kids. And um, sometimes they're like Camelot, you know, they're just like these important but light stories. We kind of romanticize them But there were no pleasantries in David's life at this time. There was tension, there was fear, there was stress to the max in David's life. In fact, he feared for his life every single day. We know at this point that Saul, the king of Israel, had already personally attempted to kill him multiple times in his presence. We know that he had set David up with his daughter in marriage so that she would what? Snare him. Saul had it out for David. David, in in everyone else's eyes and certainly in the heart of God, he was becoming uh, this rising star, this military leader. He had slayed the giant and everybody loved David and Saul knew that His role was diminishing and David's role was skyrocketing and the heart of the people and Saul was incredibly and dangerously jealous. And for those reasons, David, his life was at risk almost every day during the season of his life. We know that Saul had sent, if you go back to chapter 19, it says that he sent messengers to go find David because David went into hiding and and to be with Samuel and to find some protection and solace. Well, Saul said, I'm going to send messengers to get him. Why? To put him to death. Now, just in a, as an aside, um, this is very interesting. At the end of chapter 19, um, both Saul and the messengers, when they approach the location where David is, they begin to prophesy in the Spirit. Like, why in the world would that, why would God prophesy through these men who are en route to kill David. Well, it's not unlike Balaam and the talking donkey. Do you remember that story? Balaam has been given money to curse the people of Israel because they are increasing in power and in number in the area. And God speaks through a donkey to stop what Balaam is en route to do. This is no different. Saul and the messengers of Saul, who I think are probably really mercenaries. I think he has sent people to take David out. As soon as they get close to where David is, they begin to prophesy in the spirit. It's as if God is saying, I'm not going to let you do this. I've got things in control. But nonetheless, Saul is bent on killing David. Everyone loved David, but he had a big X on his back because of the king's jealousy. And for those political reasons, no one save one would help out out of political fear. He was on his own. He was on his own. When David wasn't at war on the battlefield, he was at war at home. When he was fearful for his life among his men facing the enemy on the battle line, when he came home, he was equally in fear of his life because of what Saul could do. There was never rest for David during this time. Never a moment of rest. Never when he could put his guard down. It was tense, Tense. We get a sense of what David was feeling possibly in Psalm 22. Let me just read this for you. It's a very famous song. We, uh, we also refer to Psalm 22 because it used, uh, David speaks some very prophetic words about Jesus, and that should not come to any surprise to us. Verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22 in the Psalms My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how David feels. Why are you so far off from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. In this season of David's life, he said, Father, I feel like you're so far off. I feel like I'm by myself. I can't have one moment of rest. This is an incredible season in David's life where he is distressed, stressed, filled with fear to the max. No solace. For David. It reminds us that we too are always at war. You know, sometimes we can live a life of leisure, thinking that trouble comes at another day, or I can put those kind of important things on hold, but we don't find that truth in Scripture. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, make the best use of your time because the days are what? Evil. The the days are fleeting, and they're and not only they're fleeting, but they are full of evil. And so uh, Paul Paul says, You can't waste a moment. You are in wartime. Make the best use of every day that God gives you. You are at war. Men, we only have time to be wise men. Or as Jesus would say, shrewd as snakes. We are living in a time of war, every single day. And it might not look like David's season of life right now, but it's no less true for you. But let's get into the nuts and bolts of this relationship between Jonathan and David. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read these verses together, 1 Samuel 21 through 4, and then 41 and 42 then David fled from Noath in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? He said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing for me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants. Then. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Thank you. You may be seated. Those were the capstones to this story in 1 Samuel 20. But the question that I want to ask for us as we look through this chapter is what are the nuts and bolts of that kind of gutsy friendship through which uh, David is encouraged and strengthened Indeed, through which God's promises are fulfilled in his life. So right in the middle of this most tense season of David's life, we see a gutsy friend. It's incredible. Jonathan. In a time of war, David was desperate for a gutsy friend like Jonathan. He needed him. And so let's walk through some, what I believe are some very clear qualities of Jonathan that we may need in our very own life, or God has called us to be in a life of another. The first quality that I want to identify is that a gutsy friend seeks out his friend. 1 Samuel 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Noath and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan. David came to Jonathan, he came to him in desperation. He needed him. His very life was at stake. He needed his friend. A gutsy friend doesn't keep things close to his chest. No, he seeks out his friend and he says, I need your help. So one of the first qualities that we see here in this gutsy friendship is that a friend, a gutsy friend is willing to admit to their friend I need your help, and seeks out their friend to find help in a time of need. We really need men who are willing to be vulnerable enough to admit their deficiencies and struggles in sin in life to come to a friend and say, I need your help with this. It is a low point in my life for any number of reasons, and I need your help. That's what we see. The second quality that we see here is in 1 Samuel 20, verse 2. So what happens next? David says, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he should seek my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It will not be so. So the second quality of a gutsy friendship that we see Jonathan speaking into David is that he reminds David of important truths. Now there are two things going on here. One that's most obvious to us is that Jonathan is saying he's confident in his relationship with his father and his ability and friendship with David to say, I am not going to let this happen to you. Good friends do that. But there's also something else that David, I believe, that Jonathan is reminding David as a gutsy friend. He's reminding David of the truth. Jonathan is fully aware that David has been anointed as king of Israel. He knows that he is the promised king. He reminds David, listen, you're not going to die because God is not done with you, because he's anointed you as king, and God's going to fulfill that promise in your life. Men, brothers, we need to be the kind of men who remind each other of who God has called us to be in our homes at the workplace, and our communities. We need that kind of gutsy friend who will come alongside us and remind us, even in our weakest moments, that God has not called you to be this, one who is defeated, living in fear, but God has called you to be a man of God who's walking in wisdom and truth, who is speaking love and confidence in his home and outside the home, we are desperate for men to come alongside each other and speak and remind us of the truths that God has already revealed. We need to be reminded by gutsy men in our life that the promises of God far outweigh the promises of the world. That the promise of God in David's life that you will be the future king of my people of Israel because you are a man of God's own heart is a much more powerful promise than the world has to offer through Saul that if you get in my way, you will surely die. And David needed that. David needed that kind of gutsy friendship to say, listen, God is not done with you. God has a purpose for you. You are not overcome. You are not overwhelmed. God will sustain you and he will fulfill what he's promised in your life. We're desperate for those kind of men to come into our life to speak that, aren't we? To remind us that we will not be overwhelmed, that we can have victory through Jesus over the sin in our life. To remind us that we are called to be the kind of dads that love and nurture our kids to know Jesus. We need those kinds of friends. Brothers, we need to men, we need men to remind each other who God has called us to be. The third quality that I want to identify is um, 1 Samuel 24. It's the excellence of Jonathan is astounding. David says, he's, he's not convinced. David says. Truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but one step between me and death. Feel how low David is right now? He has every reason to be. He's in a tight spot. But then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Jonathan says, I'm running right into this stuff for you. I'm gonna run right into the heart of your struggle and the things that you're facing. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to run into your distress, David. I'm going to come alongside you. He says, what can I do? What can I do to help you? We need to be men who run into our brother's distress, not away. Uh, When our brothers face adversity, when that close friend in your life faces struggle and adversity, and they have the guts enough to come to you and say, this is what I'm facing. This is where I am. Now, the the temptation for us to say, well, that's just gonna be too messy. It's gonna require way too much time and energy, and I, I really don't know if I can afford to run into that, but a gutsy friend says, yes, what can I do? How can I help? How can I come alongside? How can I affirm your confidence in the promises of God? Lately in marriage ministry, we've been using these words. We, don't, we run into the chaos, not away from the chaos. And let me tell you, we, we are in a hurting and broken world full of men who are desperate for people to run into their life, not away from their life. Especially if they come to us and say, I need your help. We say, I'm about to run into this. What can I do? We need men who are willing to run into their friend's distress, not away or to be indifferent to it, but to run into it. First Samuel 20, 14 through 17. David and Jonathan work out this plan to determine if Saul is indeed going to attempt to take his life once again. Um, it's a very simple plan. This is a time of year where Saul's leading men are supposed to join him for meals on multiple days. David says i'm not going to go. I'm going to stay in this field. Now, Jonathan, I want you to go to the meal because he's the prince. he's supposed to be there. and I want you to feel my dad out. Find out where my dad is. if my If my dad is upset that I'm not there and he gets angry, then you can be assured he's out to take my life. but if my if your dad is okay with me not being there, especially once you give my explanation that i'm I'm going to family to celebrate uh, with him for a particular event, Um, if Saul is okay with that and is at peace, then I know that I can be at peace. So they have have arranged this plan to uh, determine where Saul is. But I want you to go to verse 14 after they kind of lay out this plan. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast Love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take visions on David's enemies. And even before that, if you go to the end of verse 13, Jonathan says, May the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my Father, which is interesting, but we're not going to stay there long. But something else that gutsy friends do for one another is that they pray. Here we have Jonathan praying over David. May the Lord God be with you. May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. He's praying over David. When's the last time a gutsy friend has prayed over you? Amen. When's the last time that's happened in your life? When maybe just one or two or three of you prayed over one another. May the Lord be with you. May he bless you. May he help you in your home and at work. May you be salt and light wherever you are. May you more, look more and more like Jesus. When's the last time someone has prayed over you like that? If, if I'm right, and I might be completely wrong about this, there's probably not many of us who can say, yeah, that, that happens pretty regularly for me. And maybe that's because we're all fine. Are we all fine? We're not all fine, are we? And yet sometimes we only save prayer for those prayer places And yet, in the testimony of Jonathan, he prayed over his friend David in this time and difficult season in his life. May God be with you. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord take vengeance on all of your enemies. Listen, a gutsy friend not just runs into the distress, but prays over his friend in the midst of distress. Claims the promises of God in his life. Reminds him of who he is in Jesus. You're a son of God. You're forgiven. You're being restored. You can have victory over sin. A gutsy friend prays. We need to be men who pray together and over one another. Those are the kind of gutsy friendships we need. Um, the next quality that we see all throughout 20 and even in 18 is that a gutsy friend makes covenants. It's not a word we use often, maybe only in the context of marriage these days, and even then, it's pretty rare. But in 1 Samuel 20, verse 8, and then 12, and then 16 and 17, just in, in chapter 20 alone, we see these reminders of covenants and, and present covenants being made. In verse 8, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. If you go back to chapter 18, you see the initial covenant that was made between Jonathan and David. Something interesting happens here, and um, it's worthy for us to go back just for a moment to take a look at it. In verse 1, as soon as Well, this is part of a covenantal transaction happening. When a covenant took place in the ancient world between two men, there often was an exchange. In this case, the prince of the king took off his outer robe as a display of his covenant to David and gave it to David. Then he gave him his sword and he gave him his bow. Each one of these three are, is a uh customary transaction that would happen in the ancient world when two men made covenants together. Most often it was sealed with blood. It's where we get the phrase blood brothers from. Um, it's where we get the phrase uh, blood is thicker than water. We've often twisted that to say that family is thicker than, than non-family, but it's actually the reverse that blood is thicker than water affirms the re- covenantal relationship, that the bond that Jonathan and David had was greater than the bond that Saul and Jonathan had. So we see that covenantal transaction taking place in 18. We're reminded of it in verse 8 and chapter 20, but in verse 12, we see it again. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. Be witness, God. About, about what we're communicating to one another. This, we're, we're putting this plan together before you, making covenant. Uh, and then in verses 16 through 17, we've already read this. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Gutsy friends make covenants. In the ancient world, these covenants were in very serious business. They were not quick or flippant declarations. They were permanent. They often extended to the other's family and almost always involved a formal ceremony of some kind, like the one I referred to in chapter 18. Jonathan's covenant had exceptional significance because he was also recognizing David's future role as king. Here's my prince's robe. Here's the prince's sword. Here's the prince's bow. This is Jonathan saying, I recognize you as the future king of Israel, and I make covenant with you. My alliance is with you rather than my own birthright. It's pretty incredible. He handed over his princely robe and swore to David as if to say, I'm handing over my birthright to you. We might not have formal covenants anymore between friends like that. There might be a variation of it here or there. Or certainly in marriage, we see that covenant relationship. But the church is still in need in men who will make serious and lasting commitments to one another. We need to be men who say, you can count on me. I will be there. I've got your back. Not because it's a noble idea, but because we have that kind of need. Uh, We need our brother, our gutsy friend, whom we can count on, who will be there, who will have our back. And we need to be that kind of friend to a brother. Jesus said it like this to his apostles. He says, you can be sure of this, I will be with you until the very end of the age. He made covenant with his Apostles. A gutsy friend also weeps alongside his friend, 1 Samuel 20 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap where David was waiting. And they determined that Saul was going to try to kill him. And David fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept for one another, David weeping the most. Jonathan empathized with David's fear and distress. He wept with him. The writer of Hebrews described Jesus in this way, similar to Jonathan We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are. So, empathy declares to a friend this is not just your thing, it's my thing. I've been where you are, I have faced similar struggles. And these men who had made covenant with one another, who loved each other, who would sacrifice their life for one another in that deepest, darkest place where David was, and he wept to the reality that Saul wanted to take his life, and just the awareness that that was even more true today than the day before, he began to weep. And Jonathan wept alongside him and empathized with David as a brother, as a friend. We need, we need men who will strive to come to our friend's distress with great empathy and care. Lastly, and then I want to identify the results of this friendship. What were the results of this kind of gutsy friendship? Um, a gutsy friend loves. We see this all throughout the story of David and Jonathan uh, is their connection to one another, and their love for one another. And very quickly, and I don't want to spend much time on this, we tend to read this chapter through the lenses of modern culture. And for us men, it makes us very uncomfortable. Right? I think, for one, I think that should highlight the disparity and the lack of real friendships that men have when we read stuff like this where men weep together. They give their life to one another. They lay down their life for one another. They pray over one another. We get uncomfortable. And somehow we sexualize it when that's never the intent of Scripture here because we're reading it through our modern lenses. But nothing that was happening in David's and Jonathan's life was out of the norm. Men made covenants together. It was not out of the norm. But what is out of the norm for us is the similar kind of gutsy friendships that runs into the distress in our friend's life, that will pray over our friend, that will love our friend, that will make those kind of covenant commitments that I will be there for you. But love, all of these things as a result of the love that these men have for one another. Uh, Jesus said it this, I said it in the children's sermon, no greater love than this than when a man lays down his life for his friend. You want a picture of love? Then that man lays down his life for his friend. Of course, Jesus was pointing to himself. Jesus was the greatest friend. It was love for one another that forged their life-saving, gutsy friendship. We need to be men who are willing to do the same, to love our brother enough to forge that covenant-keeping, gutsy friendship. So what's the fruit, very quickly, what's the fruit of a very gutsy friendship? I'm going to do this quickly. Um, there are two very obvious things here. The one is life. Simply put, without Jonathan, I don't think David would have survived Saul's wrath. Without the inner workings of Jonathan and his relationship with Saul, it was because of Jonathan that David survived the rel- jealous rages of Saul. And I believe that God ordained that kind of gutsy friendship for David to have in order to preserve David's life. Secondly, um, this is also true of the fulfillment of David's kinship. So not only uh, does David preserve, uh, Jonathan preserved David's life, but also Jonathan is a part of God's work in fulfilling David's, God's promise to David that he would be the king. I think it's also true of us that God has ordained in God's economy to put friendships in our life, the kind of friendships like this, so that we can become more like Jesus, which the Word of God promises through His Holy Spirit. I just happen to believe that also the Holy Spirit works through a good friend into my life. And we can't short-circuit that. We can't short-circuit that the way god intends for us to change into good wise strong men what if he intended for that to take shape through gutsy friendships lastly the fruit of this kind of gutsy friendship was a lasting legacy if you go to second samuel you don't have to turn there but let me tell you what happens second samuel chapter 9 verses 6 through 7 david and jonathan had made a promise to one another especially for jonathan will you preserve my family Those type of gutsy friendships have a lasting impact and legacy on others down the road. Their impact of their covenant extended beyond Jonathan's life into the life of his son. 2 Samuel chapter 9, David, in honoring his covenant, says, Does Saul have any relatives left? And they find Mephibosheth, who is um, Jonathan's son. And he brings Jonathan's son into the king's household, and from that day On Mephibosheth, uh, Jonathan's son ate at the king's table. And he restored all of Saul's property back to Mephibosheth. Gutsy friendships leave a lasting legacy in our families. Are you a gutsy friend? You can be. I'm not asking you to find this kind of friend, I'm asking you to be this kind of friend. Sometimes we can lament that we don't have this kind of friendship. People leave churches over this. No one connected with me. No one seemed to care about me. I'm not asking you to lament over the lack of those kind of friendships in your life. I'm asking you are you willing to be that kind of friend? You can't be this kind of friend to everybody. That's the reason. one of the reasons why Jesus had only 12 disciples and three that were even closer than the others. So I want you to find one. I want you to find two, three, maybe 12. And step in. I want you to run into their distress. They're probably in your Bible study group. And if you don't have a Bible study group, by all means, get in a Bible study group. It's by God's design that he has put us and knit us together in these relationships. So I want you to find a man or two and say, I'm going to commit to them and I'm going to figure out how this works. I want to be a Jonathan. Your church family may depend on it. Peter tells us that God has provided all we need to live a godly life. Maybe in part that means that God has provided you to be a gutsy friend to a brother in arms so that our friends' hands will be strengthened to live the kind of life that God has called us to live. The reality is though that your gutsy friendship can not be only as gutsy as the one that you have with Jesus. You can't be that kind of Jonathan type friend unless you have that relationship and friendship with Jesus first. There is no friend like Jesus. Jesus has made a covenant with you. He has said, I have laid down my life for you so that you can know forgiveness and restoration and hope and purpose in life. Will you covenant with me? Will you repent? And will you believe? Will you make that kind of covenant with me? Until that's a reality in your own life, you can never hope to be that kind of gutsy friend to another. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come and we're going to continue to respond to God's call. It may be that as, uh, as someone who's sitting here, you've never made that kind of covenant with, with Jesus before that said, you know what? Um, I recognize that I, I'm, I've sinned in my life and I recognize that Jesus is the son of God and he died. On the cross for my sin and rose from the grave. I believe that. I believe him. I believe he's the best friend possible. I can have forgiveness and new hope and purpose through him. And I want to make a covenant. I want to believe this Jesus today. We invite you to come. Let us know about that. I stand right there. I'd love to know that those are the kind of decisions and work of faith that you're putting into your life. If you're Um, A believer in this room, and you don't have a gutsy friendship, or you haven't been a gutsy friend. Would you be willing to commit to be a gutsy friend today? To find that man or two men, say, "I want to be a gutsy friend." Let's pray. Um, Father, Lord, uh, we are so desperate for you. We're desperate for your friendship through your Son Jesus, made possible by the power of the Spirit of God in our life. Lord, we want to know that he is close and see him and hear him through your word. We want to follow him every single day of our life. Lord, if that's not true of us, make that true of us. But Lord, as we walk with your son, Jesus, help us also to walk with our friend. Lord, may our personal walk with Jesus not be so personal that it keeps us from speaking into the life of our friend. Lord, help us to know that that my friendship with my brother is valuable in as much as your friendship with me is valuable. That you have called me to love in extraordinary ways to lift up my brother, to encourage them in a time of need, to remind them of who they are because we can't waste one day. Remind us, Lord, that we are at war. Lord, I pray for the one who's never put their faith and trust in you and and followed your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that becomes a reality today. May they know the friendship of your son. We ask you to do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.